You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything, Everything. available everywhere you get your podcasts. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Well, Chris, this is such a great story to tell about the Pileated Woodpecker because it is hopeful. What can they teach us? Their physiology, do they get concussions? You know, those poor little brains just bamming, you know, bam, 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 bam. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Angie, we're going back to the birds. <laughs> oh, yes. Love the birds. I'm a wannabe bird nerd, so mm-hmm. I'm very happy that we're back to the birds. And we picked one very near and dear to my heart that I get to see very frequently here in Florida. The pileated woodpecker. I miss them. I miss seeing them. I miss and them. I used to them. see them. I yeah, all the time. Front yard, backyard. Used to see them with the boys all the time. They're uh, giant it, for a woodpecker. He, yeah, and awesome. Mm-hmm. And you just hear them, and you'd hear the the jackhammer of them hitting the trees. And I'd watch, get the boys outside, and watch and point them out, and we just watch them work. It, it, amazing, amazing creature that we're covering today. But I, I had a question for you. We've been absent from birds it's, it's it's something we need to be covering more of and i know you've been there's a couple birds you want to cover here pretty quick in the next few podcasts yes we haven't done a we haven't done a citizen yet that's also very near and dear to my heart I'll tons yeah. of fun behavior with them they're obviously incredibly intelligent so yeah, yeah. no i, I it's, it's uh and it's it's a really important time right now to be talking about birds and learning it, about it, them. it is mm-hmm. it is it is it is yeah, you're absolutely right, Angie. I think, you know, we both realized when we did our conservation news segment for our Patreon subscribers, this was one of the big stories that we covered. I actually posted a, a graphic on Instagram a couple of weeks ago about this. And that, that was the fact in this scientific data coming out that in North America, we've lost about 3 billion birds since 1970. 
meaning their population of all the birds, it's estimated 3 billion have gone away since 1970. And just to do a little quick math on that, that's about one in four. Yeah. Yeah. One in four birds is now gone. Now, that doesn't mean extinction. What it is, there is some extinction going on. We're going to cover that. But just total population of birds, that's 3 billion in North America down. Now, what does that mean? So what scientists are looking at, and that's why we decided to do a bird this week because we wanted to highlight this data, is birds are are critical. They're another indicator species in the health of a biome. When you start to see birds disappear, that is bad news. Bad news. It's horrible news. So really what scientists are alarmed about is this massive decrease of birds throughout North America. Now, this was a study published in the Journal of Science, which Angie and I have have said Nature Journal of Science or the Science Journal is the two top journals in the world. So this is the top, top data that is being published. And this was a collaboration between seven research institutions between the United States and Canada. And one of the scientists was quoted as saying, We knew of well-documented losses among shorebirds and songbirds, but the magnitude of losses among the 300 bird species that they studied was much larger than we expected, and it's alarming, widespread across the continent, across North America. Now, interesting enough, birds are the best studied group of wildlife. Like, if you look at all the different classes that we look at, birds are are generally the the number one study because like Angie said, she's a wannabe bird nerd. <laughs> I, They're so fun I'm to a watch. Wannabe Their bird behavior, I know. They're busy. They have a lot of personality and, and there's a yeah. lot of them. They're, they are pretty abundant no matter where you mm-hmm. live for the most part. And so it's really easy just to go out there with a pair of binocs and check out the birds. And in regard to the research too, because scientists know they're such a critical indicator of a healthy biome, I think a little bit more funding often will go into studying them and learning about their behavior and their population counts and things like that as well. So, so yeah, they are very well studied and to have data like this is a, why it's so important for science to be supported, obviously on the national and federal level. And mm-hmm. for a long mm-hmm. time, I mean, this 1970, that was, sheesh, 40 years ago plus uh, more. And so mm-hmm. keeping tally like that is is helpful. And although the data right. is not what we would hope or expect, right. this might help get our butts in gear. Um, and by our butts, right. I mean our butts, all of us. Uh, to start right, paying right. more attention to these little guys um, and some big guys too as well and gals and help protect them and help protect the wild spaces that they inhabit. Right, right, right. I mean, it's, you know, we here in the United States, we're under you know a lot of politics and we, we kind of go into some of the environmental policy that is, is coming out of our government here. And, you know, we're going to have some guests Let's try to keep it on a, on a positive note. <laughs> We are, we are today. We are. So, I'm just saying, uh, it's very frustrating. We, we are keeping. Mm-hmm. It's very frustrating. It is. Here. It is. But you and I, we, you know, we're we're out there. We're we're getting some guests on here in, in the next few weeks that are going to address some of these issues that's going on in North America. Uh, I've already got a couple of interviews lined up that will talk about this. 
but this study was just so important because it just shows the massive decline we see here in the United States and Canada, you know? So it's not just a, like you and I keep saying an Asia problem or a South America problem or an Africa problem. It's a global problem. Yes. You know, and our, our good friends in Australia are Mm -hmm. seeing it. Absolutely. So, you know, and, like just just some of the data that came out of here. The red-winged blackbird populations de- declined by 92 million birds. A quarter of all blue jays have disappeared. Oh, those are my f- one of my favorites to watch. Yeah, I know. Oh, they're beautiful. Almost half of the Baltimore or And like I said, other areas in this study they talk about in Germany during the summer. This was this was really and I know we have some listeners in Germany. This was really alarming. 80% of its insects have disappeared over the summer. 80% decline in insect population. I don't know. It's just you're seeing this massive diet. Then it goes on and talks about bluefin tuna. Stocks of bluefin tuna are down to 3% of their historical population. So if you had 100 million, you're down to 3 million tuna now. Like it's... We're seeing this over and over and over across the planet. So when certain politicians say, oh, we're fine, you know, the animals are fine, whatever. No, we're not fine. We're not fine. So that's why we're going to continue to fight. That's why we're doing this podcast. That's why you're sharing the information. And today we're going to, you know, really focus in on a, a beloved species around the world. We're going to find out woodpeckers are from yes, around the world. Yes, well... Well, Chris, this is such a great story to tell about the Pileated Woodpecker because it is hopeful. Uh, The numbers in the eastern United States declined sharply in the 18th and 19th centuries uh, Mm. when we started clearing forests for land development. But in the past 100 years or so, because of protections that have been put in place, because they are such an awesome woodpecker, their numbers are bouncing back. Mm -hmm. and. Spoiler alert, they're actually least concerned right now by the IUCN, and we'll get into more specifics as we move through the podcast. And so it it does go to show that when the alarm bells do ring and protections are put in place, the good things can Mm -hmm. happen. And so that's why we're talking about birds today. We're going to, yeah, we're going to make, make sure good things are happening for all of those one in four birds that have been disappearing since the 1970s. <laughs> you don't want me to bring us down? I know. <laughs> That's my next slide. My next slide was to kind of highlight why this is important. And, you know, and that was to talk about a bird that used to ex- exist in the United States. They, some people think it might still exist. And it was actually the largest woodpecker in the United States and Canada called the ivory-billed woodpecker that the IUCN thinks there might be up to 50 left. And if they are, they're in Cuba, even though there's been some supposed sightings in Florida or Louisiana. But this is a woodpecker that is like the pileated woodpecker that we're talking about today, but is pretty much extinct or believed to be extinct, right? Oh, yes, Chris. The ivory-billed woodpecker in North America almost reads like, I don't know, like it's like the Sasquatch. If you're a birder, it's like the Sasquatch, the lost treasure 
of birds mm-hmm. as far as spotting this thing because in 2004 and 2006 and I think seven and eight and just recently yeah. in 2017, yeah. there's been really detailed sightings of mm-hmm. the ivory-billed woodpecker and some in, as you mentioned, Louisiana and Florida uh, to the point where I, they're describing behaviors and just the people that have seen them are really convinced. And in fact, in 2017, mm-hmm. there's actually a video that I watched over and over and over of yeah. a bird flying from branch to ban- branch mm. that is that the author suspected to be an ivory-billed woodpecker and got everybody really excited about, but under peer review and other scrutiny, it's mm. just the video is so blurry. It's kind of like those Sasquatch mm. videos uh, yeah. that... <laughs> They just can't. They just no. They just can't say yes for sure. This is you know yeah. this is happening. Uh, that this is an ivory billed woodpecker. But it does you know it does give hope that there might be and and I think what this really points out too is that we don't necessarily need hard data to protect the habitat that these birds are suspected to live in. It should be protected regardless if there is a sighting or if there isn't, uh, if they are extinct or if they're not, uh, because there's a lot of other birds that live and that have in these kind of swamp lands that they're suspected to be potentially living in. And so mm-hmm. it's just really interesting. And yes, for anybody who loves to go out and look for birds, this would definitely be a, a diamond in the rough and anybody who... Noah's birds have heard the story of the ivory-billed woodpecker here in North right. America. And like I said, it's it's just been – there's just been a lot of back and forth on what the population mm-hmm. count is and are they really extinct or aren't they. And they're beautiful. Right. They're, yeah. they're even bigger than right. – we haven't even described the pileated woodpecker, but they mm-hmm. do look a lot like them and they're even bigger. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it would be wonderful if they were still around. Yeah, and then we could put in a conservation plan and, you know, maybe uh, bring them under human care, get their population up, and then re-release them, you know, with like we do with other endangered species or endangered birds. Uh, before we get to description real quick, I forgot to to mention, you know, shout out to Heidi and Marsha who joined us this week on Patreon. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I know. We were so excited talking about birds. <laughs> know, we not even... <laughs> Focused on our Patreons. I know, I know. But we appreciate you. We promise we will not forget you again. No, no. You know, and and just thank you for supporting conservation, supporting us. Again, one nice cup of coffee a month. You support conservation. We send a check out to O-Search. We'll be sending out another check here in a few weeks to another conservation organization. So thank you. And, you know, we've got some good stuff coming there. I think uh, our new species for them comes out next week or a week and a half when Angie and I uh, can sit down and and record that. So thank you. And, you know, again, just share this podcast, like, like always share the knowledge. It really helps conservation and and helps us out too, as we spread the message, but getting back to woodpeckers, I just wanted to say, Angie, or ask what they're really known for is hammering the heck out of trees. Yeah. So I'm thinking their physiology, do they get concussions? You know, those poor little brains just bamming, you know, bam, 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 banging their heads against trees. 
Why don't they get, or do they get concussions? Oh, and if they do, how do they question. recover? And and it's it's apropos for you because you were a pretty good football player, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, right? I who what <laughs> I who, what's my there, name? Hey, what what's the name? I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah I I've honestly when I was playing football in college I felt myself getting dumber I absolutely did because of the the brain pounding I was taking every day it was bad it was, and I finally gave it up I was like no way thank goodness sorry yeah knock on wood but yeah it was bad that that brain hammering every day in practice did a number huh, on me. well we'll have to and, see yeah we'll know. have to see if the woodpeckers have anything they can teach you <laughs> yeah. Teach us. Well, they do. They are actually looking at them for uh, football injuries and stuff. So that's an interesting question we're going to get to here in a little bit. But like Angie said, just the pilated, just a a fun bird, some crazy physiology we're going to talk about. Now, the ivory build was the largest woodpecker, but now that we think they're extinct or possibly extinct, now the pileated is the largest woodpecker. Uh, If you think about bird size, about the size of a crow. Absolutely. So if you want to compare, Well, and that's comparison. why it was yeah. so impressive moving to Florida from Michigan. I had heard mm-hmm. woodpeckers in Michigan and would try mm-hmm. to spot them. And maybe I did a little bit, but then they'd flutter away. Uh, and mm-hmm. I always wasn't sh- too sure. Was that, is that it? Is that it? But man, you mm-hmm. lay your eyes on a pileated woodpecker and you know, you know yeah. that that what is a you woodpecker know. and that's what it's doing. And besides the giant size for a bird, especially for a mm-hmm. woodpecker, as Chris mentioned, they have a mm. stunning flame red mm. cap on their head that actually yes. goes into a point, if you will, for lack of better terms, uh, which is where they get their name pileated mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they have that, that like, it's like a crest. Yeah. And maybe that's a better word, a crest than a cap. Yeah. Would you say they have so, like a... So, and I yeah. guess in Latin, pileatus means cap. Okay. So. Okay. And they got that white face with like almost a raccoon mask, the black around their eyes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then that kind of a, what, more red splotch around like their cheeks almost. And then, mm-hmm. yeah. And then black in color, most of the body. And yes, Chris, of course, besides a stunning beautiful bright red head they're actually mostly black but they do have really cool i call them racing stripes if you will white lines down the side of their throat Mm -hmm. and then they do show white on the wings when they're in flight right so just a little flare a little flare when they're flying i mean why Uh, wouldn't you right they're beautiful (laughs) they're so beautiful and oh yes just stunning yeah talking about size i mean 19 inches long or 50 centimeters Wingspan about 30 inches long or 78 centimeters, weigh about 20 ounces or, th- you know, I don't know what that is, or 300 grams. So, you know, birds aren't heavy. They, they're, they're not meant to be. Now, the range, which is really good about this one, is it goes parts of California up right. the West Coast into Canada, across Canada, and then pretty much down the East Coast of the United States, you know, into the Southeast down there in Florida. It's just they got a, a nice large range uh, that they're that they inhabit now. Right, they do have a large range, but I think it should be noted too that uh, most of that range you talked about, mm-hmm. including Michigan's part of it and New England, mm-hmm. um, Canada, uh, it's not they're not very common. 
they're more commonly found, which is why I get to see them all the time mm-hmm. in Florida, in the southeast mm-hmm. uh, or starting from about Virginia down. There's a much higher density of them found in that area. So, I mean, I want you and Julie to go looking for them for sure <laughs> yeah, when you're up in northern yeah, California. Uh, but but the chances, it's kind of like me in Michigan, are it's not going to be great. No, no. Her and I, whenever we go up north, her and I are going to go look for pika. I, I need to go hike and look for pika in the hills. That's what I want to see. Awesome. Oh, our wolves. We got wolves back in California. So Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's lots of fun stuff. Yeah. No bears, though, right? Even though that's eh, on your state just, flag? Yeah, black bear. No grizzlies. Yeah, no grizzlies. No grizzly. That's right. Yeah, no grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Got knocked out uh, late 1800s, I believe. Now... One of the things I've been adding lately is kind of talking about the ecosystem. And so there's four subspecies and the Florida pileated woodpecker likes the swamps there. So I was kind of thinking, yes. okay, let's you got talk. if you if you live in Florida, you gotta like the swamps. Yeah, I know Trust it is. A, it's one big swamp, <laughs> swampy or swampy bodies, swampy, swampy everything. Your backyard is a swamp. A, it, I know it took me about a week to learn. Okay, now that I live in Florida, I need to carry deodorant with me, oh, an extra shirt, <laughs> a raincoat, yeah, I know. an umbrella. Uh, you sweat. You sweat a lot, and it rains a lot. I'll never forget leaving class one night. My students came screaming up to me. There's a gator in the back. There's a gator. And I go to the back door where, you know, the parking lot and you open it up and there's a gator sitting there hissing. (laughs) It's like, okay, go around. (laughs) You know, you're in Florida when there's a gator outside your back door. So, but you know, it's the, the swamp ecosystem, you know, we've been talking about different ecosystems. So I thought it'd be fun to highlight the swamps this time. They're critical. Swamps I know are we make we make we make fun of it, and a lot of Florida, and especially a lot of Southern Florida in the center there, or where the Everglades are, uh, it is a really, really important ecosystem, really unique. Yeah, and unfortunately, being exploited due to, of course, uh, habitat loss and overpopulation and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but why should we say this? Why well, should we care about the swamp? So it's it's interesting that the swamp ecosystem is just one of the things that they really talk about. It, it's almost like a water treatment system. So a lot of it, the swamp will filter waste and purify the water naturally. So even when like agriculture washout, you know, a lot of nitrates and stuff, the swamp ecosystem will clean that water up for us. It's just the way it's isn't designed. It, isn't it amazing how Mother Earth will take care of us, but we got to cut her a little bit of break. She's not going to do all. She she's not going to do all. all all the work. She can't. No, but no, no, she's trying. No, and it's just you know these. I think of these these Florida woodpeckers. You know, living there. You know, the Spanish moss. That's why I love Florida. Just the Spanish moss hanging. It's just so pretty. It's so it's pretty. It's so charming. It yeah. really is. I always tell people that uh, it just reminds me a lot of like South, uh, South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we, we're lucky enough to have it here all the way through Central Florida. So Right. And it's just it's, it's just a huge ecosystem. A lot of trees like cypress or tupelo trees that grow there. And they're, you know, duckweed that, that grows on the water surface and you know, a lot of the shrubs and bushes, mosquitoes, yay. But, you know, it's just this, this whole biome. And then you have this whole ecosystem of animals, fish, turtles. You know, we talked about alligators, raccoons, possums, muskrats, beavers, nutra, swamp rabbits, all there. 
And it's just this whole ecosystem. Crawfish, I guess, is the most abundant food source uh, in that ecosystem. So it's just an ecosystem that is very special to that part where you live on Earth that we have to take care of because there's so many. I mean, it's such rich in biodiversity. It's just such an amazing ecosystem. Now, that kind of rolls into why care about woodpeckers. Let me, I was, when you look at their ecosystem role, you know, we always talk about, oh, seed dispersers. That, that seems to be the, the theme the last month with a lot of the species. This one blew me away. Mm-hmm. They are critical. It, yes, it's really eye-opening. Yeah, yeah, you can run with it. They are critical for creating these cavities in these trees for not just themselves for nesting, but for all these other species. They depend on woodpeckers to create oh, cavities yeah. for nests and things. Like I was like, what? Oh, yes, Chris. They're often actually just described as a keystone species, mm-hmm. which is a big deal in ecology. Yeah. I just gave an exam and a couple oh, of yeah. students missed it. And I was yeah. like, no, it's the orca. <laughs> yeah. That is the keystone species. Uh, but obviously it was like my poor teaching that they didn't get it right. Yeah. But anyways, um, no. But yeah. So when I so with that being said, uh, reading about a pileated woodpecker being a keystone species kind of knocked me off my rocker, mm-hmm. to be completely honest. And uh, but it when I really started thinking about it, it, makes sense is that, and we'll get a lot more into their physiology. Uh, but a woodpecker pecks wood in order to get insects out of the trees, mm-hmm. and so they when they do this, they make a hole in the tree. And pileated woodpeckers, we'll talk a little bit more about once again when we get to nutrition, but they make, because they're so big, they make pretty big holes. Mm-hmm. And and so as they're pecking away, they often will carve out these large cavities in trees and then move on once they cleared out all the insects. But these holes or cavities that are abandoned provide future homes for so many other species and that's I what know. a keystone species is it means it helps not just one or two down the food chain but it helps like the whole food web and so yeah anything from other songbirds to owls tree nesting ducks to raccoons squirrels i, I mean so many critters are attracted to these holes or mm-hmm. cavities if you will right. um to either use it as a home or to continue foraging on other insects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So ecologically, not just the pileated woodpecker, which plays a key role, but woodpeckers in general are super important to the well-being of many other bird species or just a forest species in general. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the quote I read was, the greater number of these birds, woodpeckers, the more cavities there will be in a forest. The more cavities you have, that means the more secondary cavity nesters the forest can support. And basically their their bottom line was diversity begets diversity. So, you know, it's this it's this beneficial activity that they do that benefits more than themselves by far. By far. It's it's a huge ecological role that they play uh, in these forests. And then the other thing I read is as a large, they talk in a large non-migratory insectivore. So these, these birds don't migrate, but the pileated woodpecker specifically is really important in controlling insect outbreaks like tree beetles, 
you know, which we, we see popping up some at some places in the United States or around the world. Oh, it's a huge they, problem in Michigan. Yeah, for yeah, sure. And they're devastating these forests. Well, when you knock out 4 billion birds from our ecosystem, here we go. The ecosystem starts breaking down. So there's a great example. Like you said, Michigan, let's jump on that point. When you knock out all these these animals that keep insects in check, well, here come the insects. They're starting to destroy the forests, completely destroying the biome. So when you jump on that point about Michigan and you look at not protecting these species, the birds are going away. The insect population are rising because there isn't a check. It's like, when we go back, oh my goodness, we go back to the immortal jellyfish. I remember this specifically. And we're talking about blooms of jellyfish in the oceans because sea turtles and other things that eat jellyfish are gone or going away. And so now you have this one species taking advantage of it and, and going crazy breeding. Well, that's happening with these insects. And now you're losing large swaths of, of forests. So again, this is why biodiversity is so critical. That's why each species that we talk about week in, week out plays such a key role in the ecology and the benefit of our ecosystems that we have to protect them all. We, we, we have to. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, we, and I just, I guess if you would have asked me a week ago before I started prepping for this pod, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, well, I care about woodpeckers and I love yeah. birds. So especially from a behaviorist point of view, it's, it's very, <laughs> and their physiology is just so gnarly. Mm-hmm. So I could, I could have come up with some of those answers off the top of my head, but mm-hmm. I would have never came up with this keystone ecological role with the nest cavities. And that's why this podcast is so fun. So, and I appreciate everyone who comes along each week with us on this ride because it it really is interesting. I promise you this, I will never look at a woodpecker the same. Mm -mm. In fact, when it's pounding in the morning and waking me up in the morning or whatever, (laughs) I will not be mad. I will be like, you are creating amazing homes for all the other species that I love to see out my window. Right. And I'm blessed to have you here. And it's just, it's so cool. Yeah. Oh, they're amazing. They're, they're so fun. They're so fun to watch and they are. And then you're right. Like each week, week in, week out, we learn these new facts and our listeners, we share this knowledge with everybody. And, and hopefully everybody that listens is getting a greater appreciation for nature and what's outside our doors in our homes. Right. Stand up for the woodpecker. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we have to protect them all. We have to. Now, getting into some of the natural history is fun, too. Woodpeckers starting Look like up, little dinosaurs. They are. Well, yeah, they are. <laughs> I mean, we'll they we'll are, get there. We'll get there. We, we'll get that there. Cre- that crest is so dinosaur. I mean, it's a crest of feathers, it it's actually, yeah. but it uh, it's so dinos- dinosaur-esque. Is that a word? That's it is. A word. Yeah, no, no, it is. It I is a word. It is a word. It is now. It is now. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> so the order is picked of picaforms. And these are boreal birds, you know, live in trees. And there's 71 genus and over 450 species. Now, getting into woodpeckers per se, the family is Picidae. That's that's pretty apropos. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be better and if it was Pecidae, but I'm just saying. Pecidae, Pecidae, <laughs> uh, P-I-C-I-D-A-E. Yeah, I know. So, I think Picidae. it's definitely Pecidae. But anyways, that's just <laughs> me and my jokes. Yeah, I know. Well, you get okay. So you have the woodpeckers in there. Then you have these these picolets, which are small woodpeckers. And it was interesting that. Oh my gosh! Uh, wait, ins- wait, wait, wait! Back of the bus. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Small woodpeckers okay. are called pecolettes. Or picolettes. Picolettes. Yeah, Either picolettes. way, I'm in love. Picolettes. Okay. P-I-C, yeah. That's so cute. <laughs> They're small. Yeah, I love Mainly it. in South America, but there is a species in Asia and a species in Africa. Fun. Then, for our European listeners, you know, shout out to them. The, the Rhinecks, so those are the old world woodpeckers. And then also we have the sap suckers here in North America. So they're all part of that family. Now, woodpeckers are found almost everywhere on earth. They have that. I remember you said this. I forgot which podcast it was, but this cosmopolitan distribution. Yes, I'm sure I read you that know, somewhere. You, I would love to pretend for a second that I made that up, <laughs> but I definitely didn't. <laughs> but I saw it. I was like, oh, I remember when Angie mentioned that. And that's just, they're mainly all over the world, except there's a few places they're not. Australia, New Zealand, Madagascar, and Indonesia. But other than that, they're mostly everywhere else. So all of our friends down under, you got to come to the States, come to Florida, and you'll see plenty of woodpeckers. Yes, it's awesome. Now, woodpeckers per se, there's over 200 species. Mm -hmm. So quite a bit, a lot of diversity. And the pileated belongs to the genus Dryocopus. I practiced a lot. That was like an A++. (laughs) That might be some of your best work. It was an easy one, though, but I was like, I'm saying it right this week. So Dryocopus is the genus, and there's six species within this genus. I thought it was just kind of fun to go through this. The lineated woodpecker in Mexico and South America, the black-bodied woodpecker in South America, the white-bellied woodpecker, which is in India and Southeast Asia. Cool. Same genus. Mm -hmm. So this is pretty far geographic distribution. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. The the Andaman woodpecker in India, and it looks like the pileated. And then in Europe, you have the black woodpecker. That's all the same genus. So that's that's huge distribution. Very cosmopolitan. Yes, it is. Now, the, the pileated is in North America. There's four subspecies. We mentioned the Florida one, but their scientific name is... Dryocopus pileatus. That's that's the scientific name for them. And of the four subspecies, we've obviously spent a lot of time on the Florida pileated woodpecker. The other three mm-hmm. include the southern pileated woodpecker that's found in the southeastern U.S. except Florida. The northern pileated woodpecker. And that's found in the northern United States from the Canadian prairies, provinces, east all the way through eastern Canada. And then lastly, mm-hmm. the western pileated woodpecker, that's a, what you might have hope for, is in western North America. Right, right, right. That's the one I, I'd have to go try and find. Now, jumping into the evolutionary history of this group, it's it's really woodpeckers per se are not that well documented. There have been some fossils found that the most recent that I guess we found, it dates back 25 million years. So in the late Oligocene wow. period. Okay. So that's that's the latest, but they really believe, because by that point where they found this fossil, they, they've already found the fossils were had a wide distribution between America and Europe. So the, the hypothesis right now, we still have to prove it, is that woodpeckers might date back 50 million years. Wow. You know, okay. They, they've been around for yeah. a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. So- you know, it's it, going into bird, bird evolution. I really kind of wanted to jump into the dinosaurs and birds, but I realized we wouldn't have time. So I'm going to save that talk for another day. But what we do know 
is birds did evolve out of dinosaurs, specifically the theropods. Yay, theropods. Now, can you name the most famous theropods? Yeah, you probably know. Oh, the most famous? <laughs> Who's the most famous theropod? Uh, well, Archaeopteryx is the, uh, was the connection that helped scientists determine yeah. that uh, birds and dinosaurs oh, okay. were related. Uh, and I think for a theropod, mm-hmm. that's probably going to be, oh, what's the one on Dinosaur Train that... Uh, is it oh, T-Rex? yeah, is no, theropods. <laughs> yeah, theropods, are, okay. that's T-Rex's yeah. family, yeah. <laughs> We can go wake up Xander and ask him. Oh my him. gosh, he would school He'll me. He'll definitely know. <laughs> he would school me. <laughs> oh, I cannot wait till he's a paleontologist. Oh, he's so amazing. Yeah, his so, school, yeah. his school tour, toured a, a fire station this past week, and he was okay. just so impressed. And But then I asked him yes. if he wanted to be a firefighter, and he said, well, I, I he's like, I don't know if I'd want to have to stay there like all day and all night. And I don't right, know when I'd right. be able to do my paleontology work. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Our future scientist, so right there, still f- uh, future podcaster. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe he'll do one about dinosaurs. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, it'd be awesome. So, you know, one of the things I, the factoids I, I wanted to leave with people today, just about this, is that they, you know, they they had, like Angie said, they have started to find feathers on some of these dinosaurs. So the the thinking was. That really started to emerge to help them with insulation. So they'd have feathers to keep warm. Maybe as the earth was changing, getting a little bit cooler, not so hot and muggy like Florida all the time. You know, and then as time went on, maybe they used it for camouflage or to attract a mate we see in other birds, things like that. But I'll I'll get more in depth on that one day when we cover another bird. Uh, Just we had so much to cover with woodpeckers. Now they did say... I will say woodpecker evolution is a great example of Darwinian evolution with this adaptation over time with their beaks. Absolutely. That their beaks have really, yeah, have become really, really specialized. You know, also their feet and their tongues and their tail, because we talk about their physiology here in a minute, you know, how they climb trees. I mean, all things that they've adapted to do to be able to, to forage for the insects that they're looking for. So, so a great, great example of that. Now, I couldn't find like the a ten foot woodpecker, which would that be that would be so amazing. <laughs> so, Woody woodpecker, right? I, I, yeah. So my question was, who has the largest beak in the world? Out of all the birds, what what kind of bird would you think would have the largest beak? All right, uh, toucan instantly comes to mind. Um. That's a good uh, one. But I know that that's not right. But let's say overall size. Yeah, I know that's not yeah, right. Overall um, size. You can edit out these long pauses, but I really want this is this is actually super. I fun do. For me. Um, I normally do. <laughs> uh, um, I want you to think this thing's massive. Oh, African ground hornbill. Oh, wow. No, no, that's a good one though. That's All right, let a really. Me give that, I'll give that guess. Okay. Okay, that's kind uh, of an ugly one, right? That's that ugly looking okay. thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, no. Strong, think of Chris. Okay. Massive, like how they use it. Okay. Um, so okay. just overall size, the biggest beak in the world. Biggest. Well, I'm trying to think of the biggest bird in the world. Yeah, but the condor. The well, the, oh, you're thinking tall. No, they don't. They don't have really big no. beaks. I think. I think the. 
the African ground bill, ground ground horn bill. Uh, no, no, no. It's no. actually down in Australia, and it's of a sea going. I know, of course it is. <laughs> it's a sea going bird <laughs> or a coastal bird that likes to uh, dive, and it opens up, and it looks like a whale. Oh, pelican! Yeah, the Australian pelican has the largest beak in the world. Oh, I, I don't know why I didn't even think about a pelican. Gets up to man, eight. Chris, we 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 got to cover more birds. <laughs> I know. I slow. I'm sleeping over. Do you here. even it's know? Pain, can, it's painful. Okay, painful. Can, I'm in. Do you even know when the last bird is that we covered? Can you remember? We're in episode. This is episode one nineteen, I believe. Okay. Uh, I mean, I definitely don't know the number, but I know it's been a while. And it's I been 40 pods ago, uh, 40 podcasts ago, 40. It's oh, episode wow. 79. I know. That is, we, that is <laughs> not very nice of us. Sorry, all say, of our bird fans. Sorry, birds. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, Jesse Golden down in New Zealand. All right. He's a huge bird fan. Oh, my gosh. We're going to. All right. Birds for the rest of the year. That's, yeah, that's it. We're, we're um, doing lots of birds. Our last, our last bird. Okay, forty pods ago. Um, Rob Lang's kiwi. favorite. No, oh god, that was like episode thirty. The, Rob Lang's oh. favorite. <laughs> Best dads in the world. Come on. Oh, 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 cassowary. Yeah, that was the last bird we covered. Like I'm, I'm oh, mad was, at that us. Was a fun one. It was fun. <laughs> no, did we do penguins? Maybe penguins was in there. No, penguins was before. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. So we're we're gonna do some more birds coming up because there's some amazing Absolutely. birds. Oh, I learned so much this week. It's so fun. Yeah. Now, okay. Now I said that's the largest beak. Which bird has the largest beak to body size? And Beak to body size. Beak we covered this. Size. We covered this species in general. It's it was on uh, Life or it was one of the BBC nature shows. They showed it. Mm, I think it was the one okay. like the bees. They were the bees were flying after them and they were fighting the bees for nectar. Um. Oh, hummingbird. Yeah. So do you, do you ever hear that the sword? That was a fun pod too. Yeah, but we didn't cover. The, this is the sword billed hummingbird. Oh, okay. Yeah. It has this incredible long. Long. Super very long. long. I do remember yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But that's the beak to body size. The, the Still the largest, just general largest, is the Australian pelican. So anyways, I thought some fun factoids for our listeners. To, it is fun. Yeah. Boy, yeah. we've done a lot. I know. We need to do more. Quite clearly, we need to do yeah. more birds. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, looking at the, the pileated woodpecker, the average lifespan is about 13 years. And it's just crazy. Yeah. I was thinking about, you know, you were saying about doing uh, a parrot species that, you know, those things live up in the 70s. And oh, yeah. our little, little hummingbirds live like three to five years, not very long. So, no. mm-hmm. and then these guys live about 13. Yeah. So yeah. They're, I, I feel like it's older for a bird, except for, yeah, maybe like the citizen family and things like that. But I clearly don't know much about birds. I'm, I need to know more. So this is exciting. Well, well, we have new we're... things to learn. Yeah, for sure. For 200 sure. episodes on all the different species of woodpeckers. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, uh, we've got a lot. We just said we're going to do like, uh, what was the month we were going to do? Oh, God. I can't remember. Okay. Doesn't matter. Let me see. What was it though? I do know what you're talking about. It, yeah. it was the it was squirrels. <laughs> we're do squirrels for a month. Now we need to do birds for a year. Uh, then we got dolphins and whales that we got to get back to. It's just so many species to cover. Oh, and All sharks! Right. I just learned about a whole bunch uh, of cool sharks today. Earlier, yeah, I know. 
Yeah. Well, we're gonna keep doing it. But what? Doing- let's talk about what makes a woodpecker peck and be right. okay. Right. It, that's perfect because yes, that was my big question. Physiology. How in the heck do they hammer? Okay. Here's some facts about it. Average woodpecker hits its beak about 15 miles per hour. Doesn't sound like much, right? But it is. 20 times a second and does this about 12,000 times a day. Okay. That's incredible. Banging, banging, banging 12,000 times a day. If I did that playing football or any football player out there in any sport, you bang your head, you're going to be dead. Like you can't do that. Because there's a thing reading this about how woodpeckers can survive. There's a thing called slosh mitigation. So in our brain, like you said, we have we have cerebral fluid surrounding our brain. There's little bits of space in there. So when the brain hits, you get a little bit of concussion, right? Damaging the brain. So we can't do that. We cannot bang our heads over and over again, or we'll get concussions, which we know can be deadly or do brain damage over time. But woodpeckers can do this. And the way it is, one of the things that happens with them is their brains are smaller than ours, obviously, is their brain fills the entire skull up. There is no space in there. Okay. So it's yes, in their they, tight. Well, they, they, there is a space, but it's very small. They have very little cerebral spinal fluid surrounding the brain. Uh, that for us, that allows our brain to move back and forth a little bit, like you said, when we, mm-hmm. we, uh, um, hit our heads, but for them, it prevents it from moving back and forth during pecking. Right now. So when they do hit with their beak in that force, it's spread over the entire surface of their skull. Like when you get concussions in humans, it's at a particular spot. Right. Right. That they're worried about that area swelling right. or whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. So for them, it is spread out. The force is spread out all over that. The, well, I, I'll say this. Now, the piece de la resistance, that's what I wrote specifically in my notes, because this is the reason that they can do this. And it's the hyoid bone in woodpeckers. It is wrapped all the way around their head. So it starts almost in between their eyes and goes all the way back around the back of their skull and then into their mouth. The hyoid bone is a strong, flexible bone covered in muscle that allows the woodpecker to extend its tongue out its beak to grab food. So there's a lot of muscle attachments and stuff that go on, right? In humans... Yeah. Well, in humans, it's... I mean, it's always a favored anatomy and physiology question mm-hmm. for students, but the hyoid bone is the only bone in the humans that's freestanding. Mm-hmm. It's not attached to anything. Uh, and it's... Yeah, it's just like right in the back of your throat and it's basically what your your tongue attaches to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but so, it's not attached to any of your your skull it's not attached mm. to your uh, vertebral column none of that no is in woodpeckers it, it is okay. and they say when that muscle flexes it pushes the tongue into their beak mm-hmm. and it's it, they call it like a seatbelt or a strap and it straps uh, down the skull wow Wow. Yeah. That so, is incredible. And so every time they peck the force, their skulls like it's strapped down that the force is actually a lot of it is distributed in their beak. So a lot of that, the the physics behind it, 
the the impact, the force that's produced is actually spread out mostly through their beak. And then if it is in the skull, it's like the entire skull. So it's not like a, a particular spot. So they don't get concussions. They can't get concussions. And that's how they've naturally evolved to be able to peck 12,000 times a day, you know, beating their heads or their beaks into wood to forage for food. That's just so incredible, Chris. Yeah. I'm just in awe. That <laughs> that's nature. So cool. That is nature. I know. I nature know. is radical. Nature is amazing. These things that we learn about these animals, it's just, and like you said, one of the reasons to care, they're actually studying woodpeckers to see like for football to reduce football injuries, you know? So that's one thing that that's nice. Yeah, give those football players a seat belt for their head, maybe. Yeah, they need it. <laughs> they need it. Yeah, they need it. Uh, so, you know, looking at nutrition, uh, the, this woodpecker feeds on insects, basically carpenter ants, beetles, wood boring beetle larvae. They might eat some fruits and nuts, but, you know, they, they like to peck and then pull off the wood and get these ants and then just go to town. Why they use this tongue. This tongue has got sticky saliva on it, some barbs. It's almost like an anteater. They can go in there and yeah, extend that that's tongue. that's what it reminded yeah. me a lot of. And yeah. it's more than five inches long, too. That yeah. blew me away. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then she'll and then they'll stretch that tongue into the trunk that they've drilled the hole in mm-hmm. and lap up hundreds of ants and swallowing them whole. And in general, these carpenter ants are about 60% of their diet. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. And then about a quarter might be, like, as you mentioned, berries, nuts, things right. like that. So Right, right. Well, yeah. I, it's the it, amazing adaptations, how a woodpecker pecks. And I'm, I'm curious about their behavior because, like I said, Angie, I mean, they're, they've adapted their claws, their, their hips, their tails to be able to, to hop around and climb up these trees you know, like other birds can't. I mean, they, these things walk up trees sometimes. So I just, so fun to watch. Such an amazing bird. Oh, yeah. They're definitely, they're busy. They're busy birds for sure, as you mentioned, working most of the day for food. And they're really adapted for climbing on vertical surfaces. And they can just hold on uh, to the tree or the trunk, uh, the branch or whatever they are and drill away. Uh, and when they are in flight, they're actually a really strong flyer. They, it's, the flight is a little slow, um, but it is pretty direct and mm-hmm. uh, can be vigorous when you see them flying around from tree to tree. Mm-hmm. So at nighttime, they're not active. They are going to sleep or roost in a nest cavity. And so when pileated woodpeckers build nests, they're usually going to pick a cavity of a dead tree or a dead branch of a live tree. And they actually enjoy to pick utility poles sometimes. Yeah. But it's going to be elevated um, off the ground by several feet. And they do make new cavities or nests each year. And different than a lot of the other woodpeckers, pileated the pileated woodpeckers stick together. They are monogamous and they will hang out in their in their territory together all year round. And they're known to defend this territory in all seasons, but they're typically a little less defensive in the wintertime, probably because 
they know a lot of a lot of birds are flying south, so they've got it's kind of like yeah, us here in Florida. We got to yeah. move over on the highway. Those northerners are coming in. <laughs> Snowbirds on their way. Ah, uh, uh, on the highway on seventy five. You're like ah, uh, there they are. Um, but yeah, and the cool thing too is their nest will often have multiple entrances. And once again, on a rare occasion, they will use a telephone pole. And the nesting hole can be kind of big, eight inches by two feet deep, and that they dug out. And so it's they've been known to snap a utility pole, in fact, in Florida, and left oh, wow. uh, close to a 200,000 people without <laughs> without power. Oops. 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 That's a, that's a rarity, though. I'm sure they're, they're, uh, that, that's very infrequently. But yes. We they, don't want cavities they, in those. <laughs> no, holes. no, no. Everybody, everybody learned their lesson about that. But yeah, and so when their territory is threatened by these snowbirds or just neighbors in general, they will do a lot of drumming, which is, of course, drumming their bill against a tree. And it, they usually pick a dead tree because I guess hollow it makes so much sense. A hollow tree resonates more sound, makes them mm-hmm. seem bigger and tougher. And They'll defend their territory a lot more in the morning, but it can occur all day, and especially once courtship be, uh, season begins. So they'll use the drumming as kind of a warning. Um, and then, of course, if a, another species or another pileated woodpecker moves in on their territory, uh, conflict will ensue with little chasing and more vocalizations, sometimes striking each other with their wings and even sometimes jabbing each other with their bills. So, which would hurt. <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. probably like a last, a last ditch effort. Uh, but once again, they usually do a lot of these vocalizations or drumming too, just to, to warn everybody, Hey, this is my territory. And so I thought it'd be fun to play a couple sounds. Oh, yeah. So near and dear to my heart. Yes, yes. I will recognize this in a heartbeat. That last one, I don't think I've ever heard. <laughs> that, uh, uh, yes, very good ears, Chris. Yeah. That was an interaction call. So that's yeah. probably okay. when it was getting, you know, pretty ugly between two conspecifics that were maybe mm-hmm. having territory issues. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's probably why it's less likely that we would hear it because I think they usually try to avoid those types of interactions. So right. I started with the drum and then the second. One was the short call, which that's the most infamous one, I feel mm. like. Oh, yeah. You, I hear that. I remember hearing that all the oh, time like outside. Music, all the music. time. And, then, and yeah. then their long call, which is similar to the short call. 
and then a flight call. So, and then, and then the interaction call, which once again, I ended on with the, it almost reminded me of the Gibbons actually. <laughs> I did. It did. Mm-hmm. I was like, it was so loud. It makes it seem like it was a mammal. You know, they're so loud. Yeah. Uh, I could see why people love being, being a bird nerd. It's like, it's, uh, it's, they're fun. They're so oh, fun. Oh yeah. And, but yeah, and that drumming was pretty cool too, wasn't it? And mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, that's, it always used to make me think like a jackhammer somewhere like, oh, somebody's working on yeah, the road. Yeah, and it's a woodpecker. It's, loud. it's, loud. <laughs> it's so loud. Yeah. And so, and like I said, what's so cool about these woodpeckers is that they are monogamous. And so they do stay together um, for as long as they possibly can and mate for life. And they hang out together, they nest together, uh, they share a territory. But during uh, breeding season, the male knows how to remind his lovely pileated woodpecker lady friend that he is still her man and will perform mm-hmm. a series of courtship displays uh, to include a lot of tapping. Okay. So drumming, but it's called tapping because he does it slow and quiet. So he'll do a little slow and quiet. I like mm-hmm. to think of that as a little warm up, And then he will move into the drumming, which is fast and loud. And they may may add some calls in there, intermixed with the drumming. So it's a real percussive, just beautiful uh, serenade, if you will. And then he'll probably spread his wings to show off his white patch, because why would you not when you're that mm-hmm. handsome? Uh, raise his crest, so make those feathers on his head that are already bright red and beautiful stand up a little bit more. He'll swing his head back and forth. That always gets the ladies. Always gets the ladies. Mm-hmm. And then just to put a little <laughs> icing on the ta- a cake, he'll often do a gliding display flight. So, but the lady, but the oh. female uh, pileated woodpecker, she also too will uh, tap or drum will join in with some of his uh, serenading too. So she, that's, she likes to show mm-hmm, him that she mm-hmm. knows how to tap and drum still. So... Pretty, uh, pretty elaborate and uh, very ritualistic. And even though they're, even though yeah. they're uh, monogamous and they've been together for, you know, might be their eleventh, twelfth season together. Who knows? So I think yeah. it's a good yeah. lesson for all, all the, all the ladies and gentlemen out there uh, this evening is that it's never too late for a little tapping and drumming. I think. You know? <laughs> yeah. that, Tell John, uh, get in there. <laughs> you should. You got to keep that. You got to keep that relationship alive, right? Uh, hopefully more than once a year. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> we won't uh, go there. We're not going there. Uh, but yeah, no, they're. Uh, but at any, but at any rate, no, it's it's very it's very cool, and I've I've never seen those displays here in Florida, so that's definitely um, on the bucket list. But yeah, once uh, once the courtship has um, commenced and uh, they've bred. The female will lay about three to five eggs, and they're white. And then incubation is about 18 days, and it is done by both sexes. Uh, and that includes the male. He'll be doing some incubating at day during the night and during part of the day, so the female can go off and forage. And then when the young has hatched, both parents feed the nestling by regurgitation, of course, because... It's just a little baby. Yeah, he is a woodpecker. Yeah. And then the young will leave the nest uh, uh, 
about a little a little shy of 30 days after hatch, hatching, but they typically remain with both parents until they're about three months old or so, and then before they they fly off. So, and then the parents stay together and keep on keeping on. So, yeah, really, really interesting behavior that I, I just think that they, um, how they do uh, pair up and stay together right. and then uh, build new nests each year, uh, typically. And once again, their old nests are then used by so many other critters, Species, right? Yeah, as we yeah, have learned. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm just thinking about it. Like, I, I wish I just had a pair of binoculars and just go out in the forest in Florida and just start looking, like, especially during nesting season, to see these. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I'm so blessed. I mean, my neighborhood has a lot of trees in it, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. course. But, I mean, I see them just out walking the dog through the yeah. neighborhood all the time. And now... And you can hear their calls, too. And then, of course, the drumming. Especially if you go... uh you know, mid to late morning, things like that. Uh, yeah, they're pretty, pretty easy to isolate and just stunning, stunning to see them. Yeah, I think uh, just, you know, people listening to this podcast, it's wherever you are in the world, it's, you just need to start looking, you know, you just need to look around. Like I sit in the backyard here in California and I, and just today, this morning, I pointed up to Julie. I'm like, look, look what's resting up on the power line. And there's just a little hummingbird just sitting there taking a break. And oh, I'm just, cool. yeah, that, yeah, I think it was the Ruby throated is, is the one we have around here. And they deserve a break. That wing yeah. flap is incredible. Yeah. They have to, I, I sat there and I'm like, I, yeah, they got to eat every 15 minutes or they die. You know, it's like, you know, so for little things. I feel the same way though, Chris, sometimes. <laughs> I know I'm getting hungry. In but, fact, this pod's getting a little bit long. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. So no, they're, it's just. You're right. We're going to do more birds. We're definitely going to throw bird more birds on on the list because they're they're just so amazing. And you know, just learning about woodpeckers today. You know that they live everywhere on Earth. How they peck and and what they do and their ecological importance. Back conservation. Now, what we do know, the pileated is least concern, as Angie opened up with. Yeah, almost wiped out or, or really numbers took a hit. I mean, you know, if you think about it in the 17th, 18th, 19th century, everybody's fuel was wood. You went and cut down a lot of trees, burned them, built homes, things like that. So birds and other species took a hit. Luckily, these ones have come back. We did mention the ivory bill is most likely extinct. And then what was the, the red cockard uh, woodpecker is endangered? In the United States, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. There's, uh, there's uh, several that are threatened and endangered, uh, but yeah, you mentioned the the red cockadade. I think I'm saying that right, cockadade yeah. woodpecker, and then another critically endangered species is the uh, Okinawi woodpecker from mm-hmm. Japan, mm-hmm. which we, I don't think we've done any species from Japan, so we got to put that on our list. Yeah, I think we have listeners. Oh, I know, yeah. I know a, a certain species that likes to bathe. In the hot springs, isn't that Japan? A little primate. Yeah, I think it? it's Japan. It's snow monkeys. See, this yeah. is why we did the. Po- yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be a fun one. That'd mm-hmm. be a fun one. Okay, okay, okay. So, but yes, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there are there are um, some woodpeckers that definitely need more attention uh, than others. But obviously, the first step and what really helped the pileated woodpecker out here in the U.S. They're protected by the Migratory Bird Act. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Things like that can really help a species bounce back and make us 
put them on our radar, which it's pretty mm-hmm. easy with affiliated woodpecker because yeah. they're so big and beautiful and loud yeah. um, and kind of iconic. But hopefully similar acts are taking place for threatened woodpeckers that, throughout the world as well. Yeah. 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 And birds, I mean, we, we're definitely going to do more. I mean, with, with down 4 billion total number of birds just in North America, and this is being seen around the world. It's, it's a class of animal that we really need to pay a little bit more attention to. And for those listeners from North America that would like to potentially attract pileated woodpeckers to their backyard area, uh, they will visit bird feeders, especially if you have suet. And if you have dead or drying trees on your property, you can actually consider leaving them there as they might actually attract the pileated woodpeckers as well as other ones, other types of woodpeckers as well that can roost in them. So that is an an amazing excuse to not clean up the dead trees in your backyard. (laughs) And I'm all about that. So that's awesome. And then you can consider putting up a nest box to attract a breeding pair. And you want to put it up before breeding season and attach a guard to keep predators out from raiding the eggs. And of course, you can find the specs for that online. But I might have to get one of those because we are really in a prime location here for them. So that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Well, and I, my conservation tips this week was, you know, continue to recycle your paper products. uh, I don't think it's something we've really talked a lot about. But recycling paper is very important. That means less trees being cut down and maintaining habitat for these birds in North America or wherever you are in the world. You know, if you can, you purchase recycled products, you're starting to see it more and more. And it's, you know, it's, it's becoming a good marketing tool for businesses that they label that their products are recycled, Absolutely, their paper yeah. products. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So when you see that, just consciously buy recycled recycled paper it's great it works and then recycle it when you're done and we'll just keep reducing our consumption your carbon footprint vote with your dollar things like that so angie you know we know we're in this crisis with birds so who's out there really fighting to to preserve them well chris there's a lot of organizations out there that study birds uh help protect birds and conserve them but at the First one that comes to mind for sure is the National Audubon Society. So check them out at www.audubon, that's A-U-D-U-B-O-N.org. They are just the guru, the go-to society that has amazing, incredible wealth of knowledge about the different bird species here in North America and all about what is happening with their conservation and what needs to happen. And just in general, a lot about birds themselves. I've got a lot of my graphics and a lot of my information. They're a very well-trusted, credible, amazing organization that you should definitely like on Facebook because you'll learn a lot more about different bird species and you'll learn about how you can help and not just through donations and things like that, but just through things to do in your backyard or things to buy at the store or not buy at the store and how to be a better uh, participant in this um, in this global crisis that we're facing. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of the National Audubon Society. Their bird information is tip top and the research is very longstanding, very impeccable and they can use your support, whether you're just sharing their information or 
doing helping them out in any way you can. Well, good. Yeah, well, definitely the, the wonderful website, wonderful information, you know, and, you know, really we need to be paying more attention to birds and what's going on. And I know we, we've got some species that Angie and I have talked about uh, that will be coming up in a, in a, you know, within the next few well, yeah, podcasts. And if, you, mm-hmm, and if you follow them on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, uh, learn more about bird species and you tell us there are obviously so many cool birds out there. Um, and Chris and I could just do a podcast on birds. Uh, but if you follow the Audubon Society and you learn about birds and you want to know more about them, send us a message and we'll try to get to that that bird species. Or maybe we can do, a, if people send in recommendations, maybe we can do a poll, things like that to try to get some uh, some of your favorites going. Cool, cool. All right, well, share this episode please you know check us out on patreon follow us on instagram follow us on facebook thank you for listening we love our listeners and you know we're gonna be back soon signing out thank you listen learn share join the movement at allcreaturespod.com